The island of Jeju sits just off the southern coast of South Korea, and it is known for its beautiful natural scenery, its sandy beaches, breathtaking forests, and impressive volcanic mountain bring in several million tourists every year. And 2019 was no exception, with nearly 15.2 million people coming to visit the island for tourist activities and to take in the stunning natural beauty. In May of 2019, three tourists would arrive at Jeju via the ferry, though unbeknownst to them, only two of them would leave the island alive. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. I showed emotion. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. Before we delve deep into today's case, I'd just like to thank this episode's sponsor, Babbel. With the summer season upon us and after such a long time of being cooped up inside, so many people are traveling to new vacation destinations, ready to experience a wide range and wide variety of cultures. Now, you've got to make sure that you're prepared for whatever the summer takes you. You can do that by learning a brand new language today. Babbel teaches real-world practical conversations in short 10-minute interactive lessons. I've been using Babbel's award-winning technology to refresh my mind on Dutch idioms. Kleurbekennen. 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 Groen als gras zijn. Groen als klaustein. Groen als gras zijn. Zich groen en geel ergeren. Zich groen en geel ergeren. Babbel's speech recognition helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. And don't you worry because I've hooked you up. The wonderful people at Babbel are offering you 65% off your subscription if you use the link at the top of the description or the link at the top of the pinned comments down below. I got you. I've always got you. I've got you with these deals. Start on your summer adventure with Babbel today. It's brands like Babbel that make content like this video possible. So thank you so much to them for their support. And with that being said, let's delve right into today's video. But before that, again, sorry, I keep interjecting. Before getting too far into this case, there are a few important cultural differences that need to be noted. The full name of the victim is not public, nor is their face. This is a common practice in South Korea in order to protect the privacy of the victim and the victim's family members. In videos and images from the media, you will also notice that the faces and voices of their family members have been censored as well. I sincerely ask that none of you watching this video try to seek out this information, as it is deeply violating the privacy of the victim and 
their family. So for the rest of this video and for the sake of consistency, we shall be referring to the people involved in this case via their surnames. Now the case we're covering today was actually chosen by my channel members and my Patreon members. So if you're interested in monthly case polls, copies of my scripts and other fun exclusives, then please check those out in the description box down below. With all that being said, let's delve right back into this case. Kang was a man described by his loved ones as someone who deeply loved his family and his research. In 2019, Kang was working on his doctoral research and was very close to completing the program. He had already published various scientific papers and articles, and achieving his doctorate would help solidify his reputation as a bright and skilled man. His studies and research aside, Kang was known as a very loving father. You see, in 2013, Kang welcomed his first child into the world with his wife at the time, who was called Ko. Though, sadly, the union between Kang and his wife, Ko, wouldn't be destined to last. As four years after the birth of their first child, they would divorce in 2017. This son, whose name is also protected for privacy reasons, was very loved by his father. Despite his love for his son and his interest in being around his son, Kang was never able to visit him. According to text records and testimony from those close to him, Kang was barred from visiting his son, Bai Ko, his ex-wife, and her family. On various occasions, Kang expressed frustration, stating that texts and calls regarding visitations would go unanswered, or on the occasions where his calls were answered, his requests to see his son would be denied. Regardless of this, Kang often purchased or made gifts with the intention of giving them to his son when they would be reunited. He would always brag to people about his son, describing how kind, smart, and handsome he was to anyone who would listen to him. More than anything, his son was his pride and his joy. He expressed an interest in taking his ex-wife, Ko, to court in order to ensure his right to see his son. He wanted to see him more often, and that was being restricted. Though unfortunately, Kang's dream of being more closely intertwined in his son's life wouldn't become a reality. In mid-May of 2019, Kang had discussions with his ex-wife Ko about seeing his son, and Ko finally agreed. You've got to keep in mind that these discussions that Kang was having, he had wanted to see his son for so, so long, been asking and asking and asking, and finally Ko agreed to it. She said that they would take a trip together to Jeju, uh, where the three of them would be able to relax at one of the lovely beaches, go shopping, and just enjoy some quality bonding time together. Now, this sudden change of heart left Kang stunned, but excited, and he happily agreed to the trip, relieved to know he would finally be with his son again. Regardless of the strangeness of Ko's uncommunicated plans, Kang, who was still very overwhelmingly excited to be reunited with his son, agreed to the extension of the trip. Witnesses in Jeju who remember seeing the three of them stated that Kang, Ko, and their son seemed to be getting along quite well, enjoying the shops and other activities around the area of the island where their lodgings were. For the time being, things were normal and even happy for the trio. However, while Kang and his son were focused on their reunion, Ko's mind was somewhere else. Somewhere much, much darker. 
After a long day of activities, the three of them returned to the vacation home, where Ko made curry for dinner. It is at this point that details of what transpired between Ko and Kang become sparse. What we do know is that the evening of Saturday the 25th of May 2019 was the last time that Kang's family had true, verifiable contact with him. Police suspect that this was the night of Kang's death. We have no way of knowing what exactly happened that night in the rented lodgings, but the police did share their opinions on what was most likely to have happened. It is a known fact, confirmed by phone, banking, and witness records, that Ko purchased a large kitchen knife, bleach, and other cleaning supplies while on Jeju. Police suspect that these tools were used to kill and dismember Kang. It is assumed that Ko spent the next few days cleaning the vacation home, and in this task, she was very thorough. I would like to note that in the reports and articles discussing this, there is no note of the whereabouts of their son. However, I can confirm that he was not killed or attacked during the ordeal. This lack of detail is likely to further protect the boy's privacy. And again, I urge those watching to respect that privacy and not search for any information regarding him. On Monday the 27th of May 2019, two days after Kang had last been seen alive, Ko checked out of the vacation home in Jeju. At about 4.30pm, Kang's family received a text message from Kang's phone, but they were not reassured by this communication. And with their suspicions growing by the minute, Kang's family called the police at 8pm to alert them that something could be wrong. Though they knew the likelihood of their call being taken seriously was quite low. According to the chief of the investigative team at Jeju Dongbu Police Station, statistically, most men who disappear return home of their own accord. So calls about missing men are disproportionately dismissed. Quote, over 90% of adult men reported as missing return home voluntarily, and they are considered a low-risk group as far as disappearance cases are concerned. Kang's family knew this, and they made a last-minute decision. Instead of telling the police they felt that Kang was missing, they said that he was suicidal. They insisted that they would like a welfare check to be conducted on Kang to ensure the safety of their beloved son. Due to the suicide rates for men in South Korea being a little over twice the rate for women, according to Statista Research Departments, this call was much more likely to have action taken on it than a missing persons call. As Kang's family had suspected, their welfare call was taken almost immediately seriously by the police, with the officers assuring the family that they would check on Kang to ensure his safety and that he was still alive and well. However, when police arrived on scene, Kang was nowhere to be found, nor was his ex-wife Ko or their son. On Tuesday the 28th of May 2019, Ko was en route to Wando Islands, and along the way, she began disposing of her ex-husband Kong's remains. 
She threw various parts of his body wrapped in plastic into the sea. On Wednesday, the 29th of May 2019, at Kimpo in Konki province, Ko continued to dispose of her ex-husband's remains. It was in Kimpo that Ko destroyed more of Kang's remains while visiting her father's residence. She did so by incinerating as much of Kang as she could. Ko stayed put in Gimpo for a few days, laying low as the police searched desperately for Kang, who was at that point listed as a missing person. On Friday the 31st of May 2019, Ko left what small bits remained of her ex-husband Kang's body in a waste bin at around 3am before leaving for Cheongju. Fortunately, Ko wouldn't evade the authorities for much longer, as on the following day, Saturday the 1st of June 2019, in Cheongju, Ko was located by the police and brought in for questioning. Though by that point, Kang's body had been long gone. When the police questioned Ko about the disappearance of her ex-husband, she denied knowing anything. Ko claims that her ex-husband had stayed with her and their son peacefully, and that he had left the following morning with no issue. However, the police knew that that was simply not the case. While Ko was traveling around and disposing of Kang's remains, the police had been investigating the rental property where she and her ex-husband Kang had stayed with their son. Though many of the surfaces in the lodging had been wiped down and bleached, traces of blood were found in places that Ko had not thought to clean. This blood was forensically tested, though the results would take a while to come back. The finding of this blood, combined with the information provided by the family regarding the disputes over Kang's son, the tonal shift in Ko's language, and the fact that she had been the last person to see Kang alive, amplified everyone's fears that Ko may have done something to Kang in Jeju. On the 4th of June 2019, the courts officially put out an arrest warrant for Ko for the murder of her ex-husband. Ko was subsequently arrested outside of her apartment. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm in complex in Changzhou and taken back to be reinterrogated by the police. In this interview, Ko's story changed from one of her not knowing anything about Kang's disappearance to one of alleged self-defense. Ko claimed to the investigators that she had indeed used the kitchen knife to attack Kang, the kitchen knife she had bought alongside bleach and other items on the island. 
but she'd only used this kitchen knife to protect herself from the man who, according to her, attempted to sexually assault her. She told a story of how an angry Kang who had lost his temper when she had refused him sex, a Kang that intended to rape her, but investigators did not believe her one bit. The day after Ko's arrest, keen-eyed workers at a waste management plant in Incheon made a grim discovery, uncovering small fragments of what they believed to have been human remains. When police investigated the claim, they confirmed that the bones were indeed that of a human. By tracing back the deliveries of waste, it became clear that the waste being handled that day was from one of the locations that Ko had been in the immediate time frame after Kang's death. The police at this point were convinced that these bone fragments found at the waste management plant were from Kang. But due to how burnt the remains were, no conclusions could be drawn regarding the identity of the individual via testing. However, better news in regards to forensic evidence was not too far away for the investigators. On the 10th of June 2019, the blood that the police sent off to be forensically tested from the rental property that Ko, Kang, and their son had stayed at came back, and it came back as a positive match for Kang. Alongside this, a toxicology screen shows that an over-the-counter drug called Zolpidem was in Kang's system at the time of his death. Zolpidem, also sold under the brand name Ambien, is a sleeping pill meant to aid those with insomnia by helping them fall and stay asleep. The presence of this drug in Kang's blood made no sense to his family, who stated he'd never used a medication like that before, as he didn't need it. Another piece of evidence emerged from the investigation regarding the Zolpidem. You see, on the 17th of May 2019, mere days before Ko would go to Jeju with Kang and their son, Ko purchased a box of the sleeping drug from a pharmacy in Shouju. When questioned about the sleeping pills, Ko doubled down on her story, confident that she would be able to pin this on Kang. Her confidence came from experience because this was not the first mysterious death in Ko's life that she had been connected to and questioned in regards to. You see, Kong was not Ko's only husband. At the time of Kong's murder, Ko had been married to another man, surnamed Hong. Now, before marrying Ko, Hong had been married to another woman with whom he had had a son, who was about five years old when Hong married and moved in with Ko. They lived together in the same Shangju apartment complex that Ko would later be arrested outside of for the murder of Kang. Everything was seemingly going well with the new union until the unthinkable happened. On the 2nd of March, 2019, Hong's biological son was found dead from suffocation. Emergency services were contacted, but there was nothing that could be done to save the boy, whose lights had just been snuffed out at a horrifically young age. It was suspected that the boy had died in the late hours of the 1st of March, 2019. However, the emergency call did not happen until the following morning at around 10.10am, when the boy's body was found. Both Ko and Hong were brought in for questioning after the incident, but it was officially closed as an accidental death not long after, as it was assumed that whatever had happened to cause the death of the boy was not on purpose based off of the questioning of both Ko and Hong. 
It should be noted that coverage of this incident is sparse and at times conflicting, so I've only included details that are the most reported on and verifiable. The case remained closed as an accident after the initial investigation until the murder of Kang. His death led the police to reopen the case files, running a five-month-long probe investigation to consider the possibility of the boy being murdered by Ko. She would later be acquitted of the possible murder of the boy due to a lack of evidence. Not much more could be found on this aspect of Ko's life and potential criminal activity. We may never know whether or not Ko was truly behind the death of the young boy, but the likelihood of the two deaths near her in that capacity doesn't feel like much of a coincidence. As the investigation progressed, the search for identifiable pieces of Kang's remains continued, though to no avail. However, this did not stop the police from moving forward with the case against Ko, as on the 12th of June 2019, she was referred to prosecution. Ko would not be seen again for two months, only resurfacing publicly to attend the first day of her pre-trial hearings on the 12th of August 2019. The hearing was chaotic at best, and a complete media circus at worst. Many people had come all the way from Jeju to come witness Ko being questioned, so many in fact that there hadn't been enough seats or room in the courtroom. Spectators overflowed into the hallways, demanding that the doors of the courtroom be left open so that they could hear the proceedings properly. During the hearing, Ko's attorneys doubled down on her story of self-defense, claiming that Kang had approached Ko while she was washing the dishes after dinner, requesting sex from her. She then claims that after denying sex to him, Kang became enraged, attacking her. Ko stated that she had grabbed the knife to protect herself from the man who so easily towered over her in height. Her attorneys claims that if the court wished to check if there were defensive wounds on Ko from the struggle, then they could, claiming that, quote, if the defendant had the intention of murder, she would not have exposed herself on closed-circuit TV, whatever that means. Kang's family attorney, however, denied these claims, stating that they were outrageous, that they crossed a line and, quote, dishonored the deceased. Many of the spectators echoed these sentiments, with many loudly heckling Ko, who kept her head down and hair covering her face for the duration of the hearing. Spectators were noted to have been shouting, quote, murderer, and, quote, show us your face. One onlooker even told reporters, quote, they were even trying to use the little boy to their defense. When Ko was asked at the end of the hearing whether or not she would like a trial by jury, Ko denied. When Ko left the courtroom to be escorted back to the prison, even more chaos erupted. The heckling and demands for her to show her face and bear her shame escalated, leading to a woman in the crowd rushing her, pulling her hair and screaming at her. It isn't noted anywhere if that woman faced any repercussions for those actions, but judging by the overwhelming animosity towards Ko, my assumption is that there were no repercussions. While Ko's hearings were being carried out, Ko's husband at the time, Hong, had a lot to say. Hong publicly accused Ko of killing his young son, her stepson, as we previously discussed. This accusation took the media by surprise, and it spread like wildfire. The woman who'd killed a husband had also killed a child. It was so hard for the media 
to not discuss. Co, however, would not take this. In mid-August, amidst her trial for killing Kang, Co would file a defamation suit against Hong, claiming Hong framed the situation in a light that was unfairly putting the child's death in her hands. Now, I couldn't find out what became of this lawsuit. It could still be ongoing. It could have been settled out of court. But unfortunately, in the terms of this video, we simply just don't know what happened as a result of that lawsuit. Coast trials continued on and off for the next two months, ultimately coming to one final conclusion. Ko was found guilty of murdering her ex-husband, Kang. There was a general sense of relief and even happiness in the communities of Jeju Island and around Korea. As the court prepared to sentence Ko, the prosecutor said, quote, The defendant Ko murdered a father in front of a son and a son in front of a father. Both cases derive from her contempt towards human life, and she has not shown any signs of remorse. This was followed by a sentencing request. They did not want Ko to serve out her life in prison. They wanted Ko to die. Though it has not been carried out since December of 1997, South Korea does still have a death penalty, with the execution method being a death by hanging. There are several inmates still on death row in Korea waiting to either see the 1997 mandate lifted or to serve out their life there. Despite her actual execution being unlikely, prosecutors, as well as some members of the Korean public, wanted Ko to receive a death sentence. Many felt that her crime was simply too heinous and that she should meet the same fate as her ex-husband and potentially her stepson. In spite of these outcries, on Thursday the 20th of February 2020, Ko was sentenced by the court to serve out the rest of her natural life in prison. Though the prosecution didn't get the exact sentencing that they wanted, they, along with the family of Kang, were satisfied that the woman who stole the life and future of Kang would not get to enjoy her life freely anymore. This, however, was not the end of Kang's family's suffering. In any case that a family member is killed, moving on is difficult. But in cases where the body of their loved one is not recovered, it is especially hard to cope. To this day, Kang's family plead that anyone with information as to where Kang's remains could be, please come forward. Though the seas around Jeju and the ferry routes were searched heavily, during the initial investigation, Kang's family still longed for the opportunity to lay at least part of Kang to rest. In an interview, a member of Kang's family said, quote, I know we can't retrieve his body. I begged the police, the press, for any trace of my brother. A strand of hair, a piece of fingernail. The flyers for the remains search are out now. There's reward money. For now, Kang's memorial resides in his family's home a small altar with his photograph and a few of his personal items and offerings. It sits beside containers of his son's clothes, his son who is still under the custody of Ko and her family. Amongst the items is a case for his contacts and a pair of his glasses. The family member went on to explain that Kang's father had left them out for him as he knew that Kang was wearing contact lenses at the time of his death and that his eyes must be tired. Despite it all, Kang's family keeps pushing forward, ensuring that his work and memory are not left to fade away. Closing off the interview, his family members said, quote, I can't even cry. I have a lot of work to do. I can commit the rest of my life to defending my brother's honor. That is the only thing that I can do for him, and I'm not going to give up. Truly a heartbreaking ordeal and case overall. 
What did you think about today's case? Do you think that Ko was indeed behind the death of her stepson and managed to get away with it? Do you think her sentence was harsh enough? Or do you agree with the prosecutors that she should be sitting on death row? Let me know your thoughts and opinions down in the comment section below. As for me, I personally just hope that somehow, some way, the family are able to have some of Kang's remains returned to them and they're able to move forward with his loving memory in their hearts. And that brings us to the end of our coverage of this case. If you have a case that you want me to cover, head on over to requestacase.com and send in your submissions there. You can also see what other people have submitted and place your votes on what I should cover. So if you don't want to miss out on giving me your inputs, head over to requestacase.com. Thank you again to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. Use the link down below to get 65% off your subscription uh, or the link in the pinned comments. Make sure to subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime video just like this one. You don't want to miss out on my live true crime deep dives that we do here on my YouTube channel almost every Saturday at 10pm UK time. Although this month, in the month of August of 2022, there will be no live streams as we are working on getting um, our main channel videos going and getting these cases out there. And with all that being said, I will see you in the next case. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.